Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. say that the Tennessee Titans are boring. Their eighth loss of the season Sunday was a entertaining, was a wild, was a, was an unpredictable affair that ended with Michael Pittman's touchdown reception in overtime, left the Titans on the wrong end of a 31-28 defeat that dropped them to four and eight on the season. Their first loss of the year at Nissan Stadium, but it was a game that included, uh, well, one blocked punt and another ostensibly blocked punt that officially was ruled a fumble because Ryan Stonehouse was hit before he could even get his leg in motion. Uh, the, the first two-point conversion by the defense in franchise history, missed extra point by Nick Folk, injuries to Derrick Henry, and to Jeffrey Simmons, in addition to uh, Ryan Stonehouse, who is out for the year, uh, it was a uh, it was a wild affair. And then, to make matters worse, or maybe just to to add to all the uh, all the interesting developments, a day later, Craig Aukerman, special teams coordinator, since uh, since. 2019 he was and and was the special teams coach in 2018 Mike Vrabel's first season he's fired a day later Monty Rice a third round pick in the uh in the 2021 draft is released sent packing he uh he has since been claimed by the New Orleans Saints so another uh another draft recent draft pick for this team has washed out and uh and, and all this is is precursor to the uh the Titans playing their lone Monday night game of the year. Is that right? Do they play one earlier in the year? No, this is their only right. Monday. Yes. Yep. Their lone Monday night game of the year against the most explosive offense in the NFL, the Miami Dolphins. And so Tyreek Hill's coming for the Titans and everybody else in that attack. We'll see how that turns out. So there you go. That's uh, that's all that's going on with the Titans right now as, uh, as we begin this episode of the Believe in Titans podcast, uh, as usual, with uh, former Titans cornerback Denard Walker. Denard, how are you? I'm doing good, David. How are you doing? Doing great. John Glennon of the Nashville Post. John, how are you? Doing well. Hope you guys are. And I am uh, I am David Beauclair. I should also note as we get started here, as I made mention to uh, to the fact that Ryan Stonehouse is out for the year with a leg injury. It is an injury to his non-kicking leg, but uh, but it looked pretty serious when it happened. It looked pretty serious in the aftermath. 
Um, they have signed rookie Ty Zentner, who was Kansas State's kicker for the last three seasons, spent the offseason with the Philadelphia Eagles, and then after he was cut there, the Houston Texans picked him up, and he actually punted for four games for Houston this year. Officially, as we start this week, he is on the practice squad, but no doubt he will be added to the active roster. We'll do the holding, we'll do the punting, and and probably the kickoffs, Listening based on what Mike Vrabel said. Uh, um, so, But he won't be working with, as we mentioned, uh, Craig Aukerman. So, uh, so John... After, after I guess what was a disastrous special teams performance Sunday was uh, was the news of Ackerman's departure a surprise to you? Slightly, slightly, uh, and and uh, the only reason I really say that is because Mike Vrabel had really set no precedent for uh, uh, firing coaches mid season, and and only I think you know last week or so. Uh, when asked if, if, you know, if he was considering making any changes as the Titans are in the midst of a, you know, the, the ugly, uh, uh, losing streak that they had, you know, he, he said no, you know, uh, um, and, uh, you look back at last year, you remember offensive coordinator Todd Downing had, had all kinds of difficulties with, with the team's offense and also, uh, was charged with DUI in November. Um, that was not cause enough for Mike Vrabel to let uh, him go. He had Todd Downing on until the end of uh, until after uh, last season. So in that sense, it's a little a little bit surprising. But if there was any cause for firing a coach in season, this was the perfect storm right here. I mean, for firing Craig Ackerman. I mean, you know, as as you referenced, how do you you weather a, a, a deal where you're Punting unit allows one uh, block. The very next series, the very next series, you, you get another punt, not technically blocked, but a fumble because, again, as you said, he couldn't even get the ball to his foot in time before he was bowled over. Uh, and, and so you come out of that game, and here's what your special team did. It surrendered, you know, 10 points, gifted the other team 10 points, basically, with those two plays. Uh, it failed, uh, um, you know, on an extra point of its own. Why? Because uh, certainly you have to, to blame part of the reason on the fact that Ryan Stonehouse wasn't handling the uh, the snap, uh, that, that Ryan Tannehill was handling the snap, and, and Nick Folk missed his only extra point uh, of the season. Um, and, and obviously the NFL's best punter, Ryan Stonehouse is now done for the rest of the year because of what what happened on that on the second punt situation. So, if ever there was cause to 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 fire a guy midseason, that's the perfect storm right there. So, in that sense, I don't think you can be surprised. I think that that just had to be the uh, the final straw. And and you know, it'd be one thing also if if the Titans were racking up all kinds of numbers and great return punt return kick return coverage. Uh, in punter kicks, but that wasn't the case either. So I, I, I think, you know, in that respect, he had to do this. How do you look at your team and, and your players and say they have to be held accountable when your coach, uh, you know, is not held accountable if you don't fire him? So I, I think it had to be done. Yeah, on top of that, they uh, the, the kickoff 
team started the game after the Titans offense took the opening kickoff, went down the field and scored a touchdown. They gave up a 36 yard return that set the Colts offense up at the 44 yard line. And, uh, and before long, the Colts had tied this game up, but, uh, I am convinced. And, and I know Mike Vrabel started his press conference Monday with the news of Ackerman's firing without even being asked. And he said, you know, I fired Craig Ackerman, but you cannot convince me that this decision did not come from the owner's office, that it was uh, that it was not Amy Adams Strunk who told Mike Vrabel, you are going to fire your special teams coach. Because if you look at if you look at Amy's history in charge of this franchise, embarrassment. And I think I talked about this last year. It was, it was almost a, a year ago, in fact, at to almost to the day that that we uh, that we were talking about general manager John Robinson being fired and and it's it's embarrassing moments that that people have to pay for and and you can go back to the 2015 season you know the titans were bad in 2014 they were bad for a good chunk of 2015 but it was only after a loss at Houston a 20 to 6 defeat that uh you know in her hometown where i'm sure she had people and 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 whatnot that was the day she decided to fire Ken Wisenhunt you go to the next Zach Mettenberger was almost killed that day also yeah, we were, yeah Zach uh, Met, yeah, the, the Titans absolutely could not protect Zach Mettenberger it was a it was a disastrous performance you go to you go to 2016 there's another game against Houston where they give up a 67 yard punt return for the game winning touchdown and earlier in the game the uh the punting unit was called for 12 men on the field which uh, or on on a punt return which actually gave the Colt or the Texans a first down and led to a field goal um Bobby April is fired the next day Mike Malarkey was the head coach at the time Mike Malarkey and and Bobby April were like best friends but uh but he had to go you go later in that year Parrish Cox a, a disastrous performance in Chicago a, a you know cornerback uh Paris Cox and and uh he uh, he gave up the game winning touchdown pass in, in in addition to some other bad plays he was actually benched during the course of that game came back in late suddenly a, a guy who had started every game that season is released the day after that game and then of course as i mentioned you go to uh you go to Philadelphia early last december former Titan AJ Brown lights this team up and and the next day John Robinson is fired and so uh you know that 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 is stuff coming from the owner suite and i i have to believe that this was uh this was the same thing cuz to your point John i i think Mike Vrabel is is one of those head coaches Jeff Fisher was very much this way too that that he doesn't see the benefit of making this sort of change in season that, that uh, uh, you know, there, there's a time for these things to happen. And, uh, and, and this might've happened during the off season. I mean, you just, you just look at it in the, in the Titans era, which was going back to 1999, the Titans have had eight block, eight punts blocked. Three of them have been with Craig Ackerman as their, uh, as their special teams coordinator, um and and as we said there's a there's one that's not not actually a punt block so four out of nine in the last uh last five plus seasons here under Craig Ackerman's watch it uh it it Mike Frabel might have made this decision at the end of the year but I don't I don't think I don't think he was the one who made it this time but uh but either way Ackerman is out um Denard will it will a different voice can it can a different voice at this time of year 
make significant changes? I mean, will there be anything noticeable about how the Titans are operating on special teams that we'll see with somebody else in charge now? I hope so, at least after what happened the other night. Um, and so who's going to step up now and be the special teams coach? It is um, it, it, oh, it's, long-time assistant. Long-time yeah. assistant, so it's going to be somebody that they're going to plug in there. Do they have any special team? Um, yeah, yeah. Tom Tom Quinn is Tom Quinn is Tom his Quinn. name, and he is uh, he is he's been in special league teams long time. coach in the past. Okay. Yeah, as as recently as 2021, when he was with the Giants, the Giants were one of four teams that did not have any negative plays on special teams. That being a turnover, a blocked kick, or a touchdown allowed. So. Uh, so he does. He does have experience in this in this regard, and you know we'll we'll see. I I guess you know how much how much can a team do things differently in, in when you're 13 weeks into the season? You can do a lot. I mean, compared to what we saw uh, Sunday, I haven't seen that all season. I mean, the the play of the special team that poorly, and it wasn't just so much of. Um, the punt team, I mean, you're talking about the first series that after the Titans went down and scored, uh, they got that long kickoff return, that kickoff return, which now they were in the, uh, at the 36-yard line. So they're already in Titans territory, and that's where we saw the long pass to Alex Pierce. So they started the game. I mean, it was abysmal. Uh, every special team's um, on that field Sunday did not perform. And when you look at that game, that's really what's so demoralizing because when you look at this defense, and I'm not trying to deviate from your, your question, no, uh, no, but think about it. This defense gave up one touchdown the first series, and they didn't. Uh, that was it. I mean, you look at Indy, they scored what field goals, and that came off of uh, they were able to capitalize off of the mistakes in the special teams, but they really relied on Matt Gay. I mean, he was the difference maker in the game. So look at it like this. Horrific day for Tennessee, but what a great day for Indy because that's the way that they won the game Sunday. You give the game ball to Brian Mason, their special teams coordinator. He called an excellent game because if you look at the way that that punt return, let me just break it down right quick. That's like basic when the first one, um, when they overloaded to one side, what you got to do is you have to adjust. That means that when a team overloads one side, you have to take your, you got to call an audible, just like a quarterback does on a defense. And the fact that on the second block, this is what made me mad. With number 38, who was that, Tony Brown, he comes from the edge. David, that is the hardest block to punt when you have a gunner. And so you're the, you're the corner who's sticking the gunner. And you run all the way from outside. And the wing guy didn't even, didn't even look up to say, listen, hey, we got an def- extra defender in the box. They didn't even communicate, and that's what was so embarrassed, and that will get you beat, and that is coaching because that's basic football. I mean, it's very basic, and they didn't cover it Sunday. Is is that on the personal protector then in both of those, or is it the wing more on the second that's one? On the, that's why the personal protector and the wing, they got to look to the edge to see if the guy's coming in because guess what? When he comes in, and let's say you audible, once you audible, you always talk as a defender, you get your behind back out there because you don't know if, if that's safety, even though he's creeping over, that team can say, you know what, we're going to audible, we're going to show you, we might fake it because there's nobody in the middle of the field. They didn't do nothing. I mean, he just ran scot-free. And that's the hardest place to block a football is when you got to run from the edge all the way inside. And usually when you run inside, they already done call the audible. Good special teams know how to 
they can correct that easily. So that's something that the new special team coordinator, they're going to have to correct because guess what? This is a copycat league, David. And if they don't correct it, guess what? You're going to see the same thing from Miami. And I, I think Nick Westbrook Aquina was maybe the gunner on that. And, and I don't recall noticing that Wait, he signaled. Who was it? It may have been Dowell, maybe. I'm not positive. Okay, that, that would that would make more sense if it was a right. Dowell that a rookie didn't think to signal right. in and say, you know, hey, hey, uh, you know, alert, alert. everybody, everybody, look here, you know, something's happening because yeah, you're you, to your point, Denard Stonehouse could have just caught that ball and thrown it and out there because there was absolutely nobody on him. And the yeah. first time, you, and guess what? When you do that, they're not going to blitz again. Because it's like the coordinator said, you go ahead and try this. I'm going to do this. I mean, they didn't even make a call. And usually when you're the gunner on that side and you see a guy come in, a lot of times where they had a, uh, on the other side, they had the gunner motion. So, again, he couldn't move. But you got to alert the wing, and the wing has to always look at the, the uh, gunner on that. And then you got to make sure you two communicate because that's not the punter's responsibility. That's on the wing and the gunner. And that was just uh, just absolutely executed to about the poorest you can do things on a field. And, and and to add to everything, I, I mean, Nick Folk misses his first PAT of the season. Uh, you know, John, you referenced it. It was after Stonehouse was hurt. Ryan Tannehill was the holder. There's some talk of, you know, how much that affected the kick or whatnot. But, uh, you know, I, I don't th- – there was nothing There was nothing disastrous about how that play was executed other than the fact that he missed the kick. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think you can – I don't think you put that on Craig Aukerman, but – on a day that you end up in overtime where one point would have made the difference. It, it just, it just adds to the whole picture of what a, uh, what a disastrous day on special teams it but, was for this. But, team. but you can, you can, you can put that on argument too, though, because the reason Tannehill was in there because Stonehouse was, and the reason Stonehouse was hurt, you know, it was because of, because of Ackerman certainly, but it was interesting too, after the game, Morgan Cox, the long snapper talked a little bit about the fact that he thought, he, Morgan Cox, could have made things a little easier on Tannehill by snapping it in a different way so that the laces would, would like, be automatically, uh, you know, out front, uh, uh, like, you know, quicker than, than he would otherwise. I, I wasn't sure exactly how, how to follow that, but Morgan Cox seemed to take some responsibility. But it, it's hard to believe that that it's just a complete coincidence that, that there's a new holder and then all of a sudden Nick Folk, who's been as reliable as you can be this year, you know, just happens to miss that extra point. Yeah, it, it's, uh, I, I mean, you know, Mike Vrabel said, try, tried to get away from it today and, and said, well, he just, he just missed it. You know, he didn't, he didn't want to get into all the particulars of everything, but it's not the first time in his life that Ryan Tannehill has held. He, he knows how to do it. Uh, again, he won't be the primary guy doing it Sunday in Miami in the event that the, uh, the Titans do get to kick for three or, or one point, but, uh, but that, uh, you, you do wonder, I guess, you know, you can go back if, if we're, if we're going to kick Craig Aukerman while he's down a little bit, you, you know, you do wonder how much Ryan Tannehill has practiced that if they get, you know, if they get him involved every Saturday with a couple of snaps, or if it's only been more recently when he hasn't been playing quarterback, I don't, I don't know that we don't get to, we don't get to see Saturday practices or, or any, any, any practices for that matter with that kind of detail. But, uh, but it was, it was just one of those days. Um, Will Levis 
we gotta gotta talk about the rookie quarterback who uh who of course supplanted Ryan Tannehill earlier this year. There was an interesting moment. If you saw the game on TV, you saw a uh, you saw a moment where Levis threw toward DeAndre Hopkins going down the right sideline. The ball sailed out of bounds, gave Hopkins no chance to catch it, and Hopkins sort of stood there and looked back at at Levis and, and pointed like, where are you, what are you doing? Where, you know, give me a chance there. And, uh, and then the two got into a, a, a fairly animated discussion. I, I don't think it was, you know, I think it was classic sideline stuff. I, I don't want to overstate this and say, you know, make any more of it than it was. I mean, these are competitive guys, they're emotional guys and, and they, they, they had what was clearly a discussion about it on the sideline afterward. And, uh, um, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, I guess, has said he's he's not afraid to sort of play big brother to uh, to to Will Levis a, a little bit and say, look, this is this is how things need to be done. I've been around a long time. You're you're the kid. And, uh, you know, this this was the latest example of that. But but Levis didn't just sit back and, and take it and say, yes, sir. No, sir. Uh, you know, he he got his he, he had his say, too. Uh John, is that a good thing? Is is that a bad thing? How how, how do you look at that uh, that discussion between the two of them? I, I guess so far this you know since Levis has been starting, I, I really like the way that the relationship between those two guys has has come along. And and Levis said this a couple of weeks ago. He said, you know, maybe DeAndre Hopkins cut me a little slack. You know, didn't say too much to me in terms of. Uh, you know, being critical the first couple of starts, realizing, you know, he, he was so young. But since then, you know, uh, Levis said that, that DeAndre Hopkins has no problem, you know, uh, critiquing him or, or saying, hey, you, you've got to do this, you know, because I'm doing this. And Levis said he likes that. He he appreciates the fact that they can both be straightforward with one another. And, and I think that's a good sign. I also think it's a good sign, as you mentioned, David, that here's a guy who is in his uh, you know rookie season in Will Levis, who has started six games, and yet he is not afraid to offer his opinion uh, to a guy who's going to be in the Hall of Fame probably someday, and, and DeAndre Hopkins. I, I'm, I feel certain that a lot of rookies in that same situation would would you know maybe have to uh, perhaps change their pants after DeAndre Hopkins got got very angry at them for something that that happened in the game, and and that's not been the case with Will Levis, you know, and, and so I think that's good too. The only issue I have, and and I asked actually uh, Will Levis this at, at practice today. I said, "Do you think that that maybe if you had it over again, maybe you'd be kind of a little less demonstrative on the sideline uh, when they had that animated discussion?" And he he agreed with that. He said, "Yeah." He said, "He said I I thought it was, he said for a minute there. I guess I forgot that I was on television." You know, obviously he was joking, but you know it, it wasn't the best of of all looks. You know, for your quarterback, who's supposed to be the cool, calm uh, head of uh, leadership, you know, to be kind of kind of waving his arms a little bit, and then the helmet's off, and and clearly was upset with Hopkins. Hopkins seemed to kind of handle it differently. You know, he was very kind of calm and cool. You know, kept the helmet on, uh, and so yeah, I, I think Levis agreed that if he had the chance to do it over again, you know, maybe maybe he goes over to to DeAndre Hopkins, and and they have a level-headed discussion. And that that way, everybody in America is not talking about, oh, hey, what's going on with Will Levis and DeAndre Hopkins? But aside from that, I, I think it's good that they both can be very frank with one another. I think that's a sign of a good relationship. 
And I think it's especially impressive that that a young kid, you know, can can voice his opinion with a uh, with a vet as well. Denard, we we always hear that the the you know on the best teams, the locker rooms sort of police themselves on on any number of matters. Uh, and I'm I'm curious, you know, obviously. DeAndre Hopkins is important to Will Levis in, in the fact that he's a guy who's probably open quite a bit, gives him some place to throw the ball. But uh, but but how important can DeAndre Hopkins be to uh, to Will Levis's development, given that, it, you know, we, we see this kind of relationship between the two of them? Uh, David, he can be everything. You know, he can be your best friend because that's what you need on your team. When you are a young quarterback, you need a veteran. And you need the presence of a veteran leadership. And I know what play you're talking about. I think it was, what, a third quarter. And Will heated up. He threw that ball outside, out of bounds. And D-Hop puts his hands up like, bro, you know, I'm supposed to be going here. David, that happens all the time. You know, it, it's it's not a big deal. If you ever uh, watch a lot of those NFL clips and they show Kyler Murray and D-Hop, those two, you look like they have a great relationship, but a lot of times they're going at it, you know, because D-Hop is anticipating the ball being maybe inside, Kyle threw it outside. That happens a lot. And so what you do is you just you squash it and you come back when the play when they scored for that last touchdown in the fourth quarter to go up with the tie of the game at 25. Did you see that beautiful throw that Will hit through the D-Hop in the end zone? Yeah. That's a tough throw. That is a tough throw. But you got to be on the same page. And that's exactly what they were. They were on the same page for the most part of this game. Not to mention the rookie hasn't been turning the ball over. And that's good. That's something that we don't talk about. And we we haven't been talking about that all year. And that's talking about a veteran. So I like that. And what D-Hop did is he was the veteran. He says, listen, I know the rookie's going to get frustrated, but it makes no sense for me to beat him down even more. But that's those are the little things you got to work through because – you're going to need it uh, come Monday night because they <laughs> went up to Miami. And the last time I checked, Miami corners are not like the Colts. They got two monsters at cornerback. So you definitely going to have to be on the same page when you go to the MIA. You know, we've referenced it a couple times. You come into the league and join a defense that has Blaine Bishop and Marcus Robertson at safety. And I'd be willing to bet that both of those guys in, in probably different ways too, were perfectly willing to tell you what they thought you were doing wrong at times too, weren't they? Well, let, let, I'm going to tell you this, David, <clears throat> when I got it, I was very fortunate to get drafted by the Tennessee, Tennessee Oilers because they had Blaine Bishop and Marcus Robinson. You're talking about two of the most creative and two of the smartest football players in the history of that organization. <laughs> When Blaine and Marcus tell you to do something, you didn't you don't you don't second it, you just do it. That's why Samari rolled into the Pro Bowl in 2000. It's because Marcus Robertson and Blaine Bishop would tell them, "Listen, you play this coverage like this." That's how we operated. That's why we were successful in that organization because we listened to the older veterans. And, and, and David, I'm telling you, there's times where Blaine would get in your behind if you did the wrong thing. But you know what? They were quick to get on you. But one of the things I loved about them, they were even quicker that when you do something good to patch and let you know, hey, that's what I'm talking about, Rook. So again, you need that. You need the presence of a veteran leadership because if you don't have that, guess what? It's something that it's hard for you to progress. And so what you're seeing in Will is you're seeing a player that's getting better. I don't care what no one has talked about this past game that he didn't play his best. The fact that he didn't turn the ball over. He was consistent. Look at the first drive 
I mean, look at how he was distributing the ball. He's he's playing like a vet. He's playing almost like a seasoned veteran. He's getting better in the system, and that's what you want to see from a first year quarterback. And and uh, and he's not playing scared. And and let's let's give him a shout out for this too. He he had a trifecta in this game that I don't know that I've ever seen. In that on one play, one single play, Will Levis fumbled. Forced a fumble and recovered a fumble. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it, it was one of the weird. Again, adding to the weirdness that that, that was this game on Sunday. You, I mean, you you have to give him have to give him full credit for not giving up on the play. Not you know not when the ball came out at, under the pass rush and and it was determined that it was a fumble. His arm wasn't going forward. You know, it wasn't it wasn't one of those. Oh shoot! Now I did that. I mean, he he put his head down, ran forward, and 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 made a play. Got the ball back for the offense right there so uh yeah he's uh he he does seem to be uh does seem to be wired for the game you you can you can see why mike vrabel likes him why why uh why vrabel wanted him in the draft that you know they he seems like a mike vrabel kind of player to me um back to the current titan secondary stop me if you've heard this one before christian fulton has a hamstring injury is uh it, it seems unlikely he will be able to play Monday in uh in Miami. Fulton was injured during the overtime. Trey Avery comes in for him right away. The uh the Colts go to Michael Pittman one-on-one against Trey Avery, get the uh get the game-winning touchdown. Uh now, you know, we've we've been hard on on Denard's guy Christian Fulton here on this podcast quite a bit this season, but uh but John Without Christian Fulton, how much of a recipe for disaster is there for this defense Monday night in Miami when you think about Tyrone Hill and 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 everybody else that uh, that can catch passes and run and do the things that the Miami offense does right now? Yeah, every time it seems we turn on the TV, we're, we're watching some kind of Miami Dolphins highlight of, of Tua throwing the ball about 80 yards in the air. Tyreek Hill about three yards ahead of, of every defender catching touchdown passes. So much so, in fact, that you, you almost forget a little bit that, oh, yeah, they also have Jalen Waddle, you yeah. know, who's, who's an incredible uh, receiver, too, and and is, uh, you know, a guy very capable of uh, making explosive plays. And, you know, you hate to keep harping on it, but what's the biggest drawback of the Titans on defense this year? Oh, yeah, it's been allowing X plays. Well, Here's a, your biggest challenge of the year right here. And, and if Christian Fulton's in, you know, that adds to the, to the dilemma that the Titans have. You know, do you, do you go back to a situation where you're, or you're putting Roger McCreary back on the outside now? Uh, and, uh, and maybe bringing Elijah Molden in the slot. Um, and, and Sean Murphy Bunting, you know, is on the outside as well. Maybe that is the case because, uh, Elijah Molden hasn't been, uh, playing as much safety. Kayvon Wallace has really been the starting safety there the last couple of weeks. So, so maybe the Titans go in that direction. But again, that that Roger McCreary is, is feeling a little bit uh, you know out of sorts because he's been playing most of the year in a slot, and all of a sudden he gets pushed outside again. So this is as as big a a challenge as as the Titans will face, um, you know. And and we can't sit here and say that, that Christian Fulton was having a a, a particularly good season. He has had, you know, some spells, uh, you know, of, of playing well, uh, but but you know, it hasn't been great overall. But nevertheless, 
certainly his experience would be valuable, uh, you know, if nothing else, going against this Dolphins defense. Denard, everybody in the NFL is a great athlete. We we know that. We understand that. You're you're playing against really good, really challenging players every week. But occasionally there are guys who are different. You you faced Randy Moss early in his career, you know, who was, you know, for his size and his speed, you know, an, an absolute freak. You know, Tyreek Hill's not a big guy, but it just seems like nobody in the NFL can run with him how uh you know how what, what's the balance between doing everything you can to keep this guy from just making the plays he makes but not abandoning you know your your basic rules of defense here so david you have to okay let's go back uh to 2020 and the game Kansas City was playing against Tampa Bay the first game of the season that that first uh time they played and Tyreek Hill torched that Tampa Bay secondary. They tried to come up and play bump and run. David, the first two series of the game, Patrick Mahomes hits Tyreek Hill for two long bombs. Let's fast forward to the Super Bowl. Tyreek Hill was a non-factor that game, right? Tampa Bay really put a – they did a great job. I mean, what did you do? you got to learn uh, – so you have to adjust as a defensive coordinator. You know the guy. They don't call him the cheater for nothing. And he's a, he's a legit, and he's not just – I don't believe in no such thing as 4-2-4-3. The guy's just flat out fast. So what you got to do what Tampa did, play over the top, make him do something that he doesn't want to do in the in, in that offense, is that's catch everything underneath and then try to make some plays after that. You can't sit there and say, I got uh, Trey Avery, Sean Murphy, Bunton, and I got Roger McCreary, and we're going to try to press coverage. I think that would be dumb. So why don't you do what we did at LSU against Florida one year? We get off about 12 or 13 yards deep and make everything, let them throw everything in front of us. And then you make them have to drive the field. And that's something that Miami really, they don't want to do that. They're an explosive football team. They want the big plays. Look at the first series against Washington. It went 70 yards. Yeah. It, it's uh, it, it puts the onus on, Danico Autry and Harold Landry and Arden Key too to do what you're saying because you, you're not going to be committing blitzers to the to the pass rush in that case. You want as many guys defending. You know, you're talking seven, sometimes eight guys defending the pass as as often as you can. Um, that that the one problem with that is Jeffrey Simmons is going to be missing this week. Mike Vrabel said he's, uh, he, he's likely out of a matter of weeks with, uh, with it, with the injury he sustained Sunday against the Colts. That, you know, this is a game where you'd really like to have him in there and, and creating the havoc he does. But uh, uh, I, I would assume we'll, we will see some creative usage then of a guy like Danico Autry, for example, in in terms of trying to take advantage of his athleticism and and some of the things he can do to to get to the quarterback, and um, it, it, you know, is that is that going to be enough? I, I guess that's anybody's guess. Is you know, as we have noted repeatedly, Titans uh, Titans have not won a game outside of Nissan Stadium this year. Um, you know, maybe maybe the good news is it's a uh, it, it's part of a, a Monday night 
double and not even a double header because both games will be going on uh simultaneously but there is a there's another game monday night so maybe not the the entire country will be watching the titans if if this thing goes the way that uh that that some people think it might uh titans are basically two touchdown underdogs in this one which is a which is a gigantic spread in the nfl so uh uh, as we wrap this thing up here, John, a- any reason to think that the Titans are going to win this game? Boy, uh, it'd be hard pressed to, uh, to to find one. You know, honestly, uh, you know, if the Titans have, have something to to maybe cling to, or, or you know, a little bit of optimism, it's the fact that Derrick Henry, you know, who was pulled from from last Sunday's game, you know, checked for a concussion. Uh, looks like uh, all things are are looking good for him. You know, he practiced. Uh, today, so it looks like he'll be playing. You know, and and if the Titans can can uh, you know keep possession of the football, if they can consistently put together drives, uh, you know, keep that offense off the field, you know, maybe that 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 makes it a little bit more competitive. But on the other hand, if they fall behind early, that puts that that, that game plan gets knocked out uh, completely. So I think it's going to be a tough situation for the Titans. I'm, I'm going to have to go with the. Uh, the Dolphins to to keep the Titans road streak uh, going in this one. Denard, any chance at all for the Titans? No, uh, to be honest. Well, I tell you what, uh, if they if this is a copycat league, David, why don't you go down and call Todd Bowles if you Shane Bowen and say how did you uh, how did you defense um, Tyreek Hill and that Kansas City team? Why don't you go down and see? Because that, that pretty much that team resembles that Miami offense. They're just like Kansas City. They're looking for that deep strike, and they want to go deep every play. So go to Todd Bowles. Coaches talk all the time. Yeah, there. Yeah, it, it it's it's tough to imagine. I I will say too, this is the one day I'm going to feel bad for Ryan Tannehill. Um, you know, he certainly handled his demotion just fine. But you know, this is a game he wants to play in in a stadium that he wants to play, and and he probably won't get that opportunity. But but. We will see what happens, and we will talk about it next week on Believe in Titans. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.